This is Daryl Wood, host of Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show on Faith Talk 1500. First, let me say this show is your show. That's why no matter what I discuss or which guests I interview, your input is valued. If it's in the news, on TV, or at the movies, whether political, social, economic, or whatever, at some point I'm talking about it on Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show, Monday through Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. on Faith Talk 1500. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real Life Christian Church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. series simply I call it the cross we're going to look at what motivated the Jews and when I say the Jews I mean the religious leaders the religious leaders of the Jews to make certain that Jesus was crucified and you may wonder why crucifixion why did Jesus Christ have to be impaled on a cross to pay for our sins and bring us salvation and on Easter Sunday we're going to look at the empty cross and the empty tomb when I think about Jesus death I have to ask why I mean he was the most giving person who ever lived and you say, I know why. You raise your hand like you're in a class, and you say, I know, I know why I had to die. It was the Father's plan. It was the Father's plan to lay, his, to lay our sins on him. And that's the right answer. And maybe if you're really good, you know a lot, you, then you know, um, well, Acts chapter 2, verse, what is it, 23. This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's, the Father's, set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. And so it happened by the Father's set purpose and foreknowledge. The death of Jesus Christ was his plan. And you say, well, can't fight God's plan. And this is, this is not what fascinates me about, not only the whole passion drama, but about life. God the Father in heaven will always accomplish his purpose. And at the same time, he will let us exercise our free will and make choices, even sinful ones, and using those choices, he will accomplish his purpose. I mean, think, Judas betrayed Jesus. He said, I know where he's going to be, and I'll take you to him. You think the father said, Judas, you have no choice in this matter. You will betray my son? No, he didn't say that. Or Pilate, who knew very well Jesus was innocent. Should have said the man goes free, he's done nothing worthy of death, but he went out to save his job. Think the father said, Pontius Pilate, you will turn Jesus over to the mob and have him crucified. Didn't say anything like that. Pilate made a choice. Or a few soldiers who say, who, who, who say hey, th- th- this guy says he's a king. Well, I saw this thorn bush out there. Let's make him a crown and make him a real king and have some fun with him. I, I mean, do you think the father said, you will inflict pain on this man? No, they all made sinful choices. They made horrible choices, horrible choices. Anybody ever convince you, oh, sure, I'm a Christian. Sure, we'll go to church. Yeah, yeah, we'll do all the God things. So you marry him. Then you find out they lied. And now you have nothing but heartache. Anybody ever ignore you just to hurt you or gossip about you or or, or, or blab something that you told them in confidence? See, those are choices people make, and the Father in heaven will allow that to happen. I'll say it again. The Father in heaven will allow that to happen. People, make, people making these awful choices that don't bless you. And here's the neat part, though. He will use all those choices like he did with Judas and Pilate and those soldiers and others. 
and bring about his good, I said his good purpose, no matter what people are doing to mess up your life, no matter what kind of bad choices they're making, God is working for you. And that's a tremendous thought, and we see that in the passion drama. So why did these people, these people of the Jews want to crucify Jesus? I find that answer in Luke chapter 6, and I'm in verses 1 and 2. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain and rub them in their hands and eat the kernels. Now, what's wrong with that? I see wild blackberries. I have wild blackberries in the field next to us, and when I cut the field with the tractor, I'll, once in a while I get off those tractor and pick one of those plump, delicious-looking blackberries and pop it in my mouth. And so the disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and pop them in their mouth. Now look at verse 2. And some of the Pharisees asked, why are you, meaning you and your disciples, doing what is unlawful, get that, doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath, see? So a couple of Pharisees notice them, and they accuse them of doing something unlawful, okay? Now you got to get into this. Here's what God said about the Sabbath. This is what, that's the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's the fourth commandment, Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 8. Listen to this. This is what God said about the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, you shall not do any work. Neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your manservant, your maidservant, your animals, your alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But on the seventh day he rested. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and he made it holy. All God said was this, on the Sabbath you rest. That's all he said. On the Sabbath you worship me. Rest and worship, rest and worship. That's it. Now for centuries... Jewish rabbis added their own man-made laws to that original law of God. And that's where the rub comes in. I mean, they loaded down the Sabbath with one law after another, man-made laws out of their own heads. You can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this on the Sabbath because that's work. Well, God never said that. I mean, you talk about bold. Now, you talk about bold. You talk about pressing their hot button. Look at verse 5 of Luke chapter 6. Then Jesus said to them in response, why you, you know, they said, well, why, why, why are you doing this unlawful thing, popping those heads of grain into your mouth? Then Jesus said to them on the Sabbath, and then Jesus said to them, the Son of Man, get this now, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. What did Jesus just say? He just said, I'm God, I'm the Lord. I'm the one who wrote the fourth commandment, plus all the other commandments in the first place, and I know what it says, and it doesn't say a thing about plucking grain on the Sabbath. I mean, folks, you got to know, these traditions were sacred to these Pharisees and scribes and priests, and when Jesus said that, when he said, verse 5, then Jesus said, then the Son of Man is Lord, even on the Sabbath day, I mean, these guys must have been boiling inside, ready to explode like a volcano when Jesus said that. So why did they make sure Jesus hung on a cross? Because he challenged them. He challenged their traditions. He challenged the way they've always done things. That's why they put him on the cross. Look at verse 6 of Luke chapter 6. This goes on. On another Sabbath, so we're dealing with the Sabbath day again, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled, and if you have a King James, it probably says withered. 
And then verse 7, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watch him closely to see if heal, if he would heal on the Sabbath. The Pharisees knew Jesus Christ would come into the synagogue that day. They knew he would notice the guy with the withered hand. And to heal on the Sabbath would be against their rabbinical, man-made, not God-made, but rabbinical Sabbath laws. It would be work. And so those guys are there to watch him and see what he would do. And so they watched him. They were out to get him. And Jesus knew it was going on. So what makes sense here? What would you do? What would I probably do if I knew they were watching me? And I knew I was going to press their hot button well, I'd probably go ahead and preach and teach. And when the crowd left, see this guy with the shriveled hand outside and say, hey, man, I saw your hand. Let me help you out here. And then I'd take the hand and I'd probably heal it at that time, if that were me. But Jesus didn't do that. See, I'd probably do that so I wouldn't make any waves. So I wouldn't get these people all upset. And Jesus didn't do that. Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. I mean, this gets very good here. I'll tell you, I put myself into this whole thing. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he, and he said to the man with the shriveled hand, now look, at he said, get up and stand in front of everyone. See that? He's about to make a big deal out of this. He said, get up and stand in front of, every, and, and stand in front of everyone. And so he got up and stood there. Now, folks, you got to understand, this is high drama. I mean, all eyes are on Jesus. I mean, it's so silent in that synagogue, you could hear people breathe. And Jesus, now, now he looks, I mean, you got to get into this, man. He, he looks right at those Pharisees, looks them right in the eye. Verse 9, Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or lose it? He just said that to help that man was to do good and not to help him was to do evil. He just said, in saying that, he just said that their man-made laws and regulations were unmerciful and therefore evil. Now look at verse 10. Then he looked around at them all. Can you see that? I mean, the place is dead silent. This guy's standing right out front. The word of God says he just, he, he just they're all around him. And he just looks at every one of those guys He's about to break their Sabbath laws. He's about to violate their man-made regulations. And I almost bet you that every person in that synagogue was saying, come on, Jesus, heal him. Come on, do it. Do it, Jesus. Stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. And here it comes, but they were furious. And they began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. And if you read Matthew's account of the same incident, it says they plotted from that time on, they plotted to kill him. And so that, so, so you got to ask, why did they plot his death? I mean, he challenged their traditions. He showed mercy and people are drawn to mercy. I mean, they were losing their grip of control on the people. He pointed out the hypocrisy in their, of their religion and then they made choices. He has to die. It's him or us. And they made sinful choices and God used those sinful choices to bring about his purpose. Now, whenever I study the word of God, I ask myself a couple of questions. First question I ask is, what does it say about God? That's number one. Every time I read scripture, I say, God, what are you trying to tell me about yourself? And number two, how do you want me to live as your child? That's the second question I ask. And here's what this tells me about God. It tells me, number one, that God is merciful. And what it tells me about myself is, it's real easy to get, to, 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 to get in a set, so set in a way of doing things, ways that may not be right, and sometimes we have to let go of stuff. 
So let's look at what this says about God. God is merciful. And Jesus sees this guy with a useless hand and immediately, here's the deal, immediately he felt something. He knew he could do something about it. That's mercy. See, God is merciful. That's the main thing I see here. You know what? I think this guy could have been a plant. I look at it again. On the Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching and a man was there, maybe just happened to be there, whose right hand was shriveled, and the Pharisees and teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, and so they watched him closely. I think maybe the religious Jews saw this guy with a shriveled hand on the street, and they paid him off to go in the synagogue because they knew they knew Jesus' heart. They knew all Jesus had to do was look at this guy with a shriveled hand, and he wanted to help him, which would be work according to their rabbinic Sabbath laws. Not God's law, but their rabbinic Sabbath laws. And as soon as he healed that guy, they could take him and haul him before some council and sentence him to jail and throw away the key and they're rid of the guy so maybe jesus was being set up i don't know regardless jesus sees the man right away just like they figured and then there's a heart connection that's the big deal see there's a heart connection man god feels for us feelings of pity and the desire to help and i think we lose that sometimes we do sometimes we make our father out to be so mechanical sometimes we pray because I do this myself, we pray as if we had to convince him to help us. Ever pray like that? Dear Father, I got this thing going on in my life. You know, I, I, I've tried to do your will. What are you doing? You are trying to convince God. Folks, he sees you in your misery. He already has feelings of love and tenderness for you and me. And I, I think about the, the synagogue ruler, this guy named Jairus, and a synagogue ruler is the same thing as a Pharisee, almost on the same level of, of a Pharisee, and his daughter was dying. Let me read this to you. This is Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. And then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet. Here it is, pleading with him. I like that word, pleading with him, to come to his house because his only daughter was a girl, about, a girl of about 12 years old, was dying. And so the synagogue ruler, who was not in the Jesus fan club, fell at, fell at Jesus' feet and pleaded with him. And Jesus left the crowd and went with Jairus. See, the point is, our Lord is touched by your pain. He left the whole crowd and went with that guy because he, he just got on his face before him and he pleaded with him. I mean, that touched Jesus' heart. See, but we need to do what Jairus did, and we need to eat some pride and say, I'm helpless. I mean, there's nothing I can do about this. Lord Jesus Christ, please, my Father in heaven, please, please, please help me. And that's tough for some guys who have this manly image to protect. And there's a bunch of ladies programmed to think like guys today, too. You, 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 you got to convince yourself, I can handle this. That's why we prayed that let go of this stuff prayer earlier today. Listen, when I come before the Lord helpless, I'm appealing for his mercy. And when I do that, I leave that prayer. And I'm serious about this, man. I get a sense of relief. I get a big sense of relief about this because here's what I know. I got to deal with what I know. And I know my father will never turn me away. I, I know my father is touched by my infirmities. And I pray that you folks see God like this, merciful, because he'll pick you out of a crowd and he will see your withered hand. I'm serious about that. And God will see your broken heart. He'll pick you out of a crowd. I mean, that's what the cross is all about. I think about Bob. God saw Bob. And Bob was probably, the, well, Bob was and probably still is a cement finisher. And Bob was working seven days a week. 
And he said to himself, I mean, he was burned out, man. He said, I got to take a day off. Bob was single, owned his own house, and he had to take a day off. He said, I am burned out. And he said, I'm going to take a day off. And that week, his neighbor came up to him and said, well, I'm redoing half my driveway, the broken half, and I'm not hiring a cement contractor. I've hauled all that stuff out myself, and I got it all ready, and I'm going to pour the cement on Saturday. And Bob, I know you're a cement finisher. I could do a shoemaker's job, but if you would come and help me and finish the cement this Saturday, it would really bless me. And Bob said, sure, glad to do it. You're my neighbor. You're my friend. And that's great. God bless Bob. But here's what Bob said later, and this story was related to me. I didn't know Bob personally. Bob later said, that's why I'm going to heaven. Because I planned a day off for myself. And instead of taking that day off for myself, I went and I helped somebody else. See, now here's the deal. God saw Bob doing everything Bob could to be a good person and somehow in his own thinking earn a place in heaven. God saw that. And the father pitied Bob. He mercifully pitied Bob who was helpless to earn his own salvation. So what did God the Father do? God took Bob's sins and laid them on his own son, Jesus Christ. And folks, that is mercy. That is real mercy. Now it remains up to us to clue Bob in that he doesn't have to spend the rest of his life doing good here and doing good there and beating his head against the wall, trying, 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 trying to earn, to, to, to earn his salvation, to be good enough to get to heaven because that'll never work. It's up to us to lead the bobs in our life to know that heaven is a free gift. It's not earned. It's not deserved. It's free from a gracious and merciful God. The first thing I see, excuse me, in this word of God is what it says about God, that he's merciful. And next, what it says about me. That's the second question I ask. What does this say to me? I mean, these religious leaders had their traditions, and, and that they had their, it's the way they've always done it, see, and that tradition was the only way to do it. You, you, you don't take a hunk of grain and rub it around on your hands. No, 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 not on the Sabbath. And to bless some family by healing a guy with a withered hand, I mean, they would say, no, 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 there's our rabbinic code. It's written right there. Wasn't the law of God, wasn't the scripture, but there's our rabbinic code. It's written right there. And our tradition says, you wait till the Sabbath's over, almost as if it were written in scripture. What this word of God is saying to me and to you is this. Can you change to enrich somebody else's life? Can you change the way you've always done things to make somebody feel good? See, when you change your routine, the way you've always done it, and listen to somebody, you might discover, hey, you know, that really works. Or I really enjoyed that. I got to tell you this too, man, change like that. When, 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 see, some, there, there's so many routines in life. In my life in particular, man, it's like your feet, it's like your feet are, are embedded in concrete and you can't get them out of that. And, and, and this is something to make those changes. I got to tell you folks, I can't do this on my own. I, 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 cannot, in, I cannot make those changes and enrich somebody else's life. On my own, I get so entrenched in those traditions. I mean, I need, the, I need the Holy Spirit working inside me. I need the Holy Spirit to take a word of God like this in Luke 6 and show me how rigid and insensitive I can be and to change my heart. And folks, that's where it starts. Did you ever take a good look inside yourself and ask the Spirit to change your heart? When I read this story in Luke 6, especially verse 7, this, this irritates me. The Pharisees and teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. I read stuff like that, and I say, I don't want to be like these guys. They were so rigid. I wonder if they ever really enjoyed life. 
Listen, I, I, I got to tell you, I delight in obeying God's law. I do. Psalm, Psalm, 30, Psalm 37, 4 is our, is our memory work today. And, and I'm, I'm living proof of, of Psalm, that Psalm 37, 4 works. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. He's done that in my life. And I delight myself in the Lord. And I delight, I delight in doing God's will. But these guys, these guys were rigid in devotion, not so much to God's will, but what they thought was God's will. They were man-made law, man laws. And so these guys said, they were so rigid, they said, my way is the only way. And we say that, and I read this, and I say, Father, don't let me get like this. That's how the word of God should work on us, man. I don't want to be like that. That's in there for a reason. I, I want the people that God puts in my life to speak into my life, and I want to be able to listen to them because that's one day God redirects me. I don't want to be so stubborn to say my way is the only way, the only way to have people talk to me and let it go in one ear and out the other. I, I, I mean, this is God's word. I mean, can people who care about you, that's what this word of God tells me about myself. Can people who care about you talk to you to change you? Do you listen or do you get irritated and just dismiss it? What do you do? I said I have a negative reaction when I read Luke 6. Because I don't want to be self-righteous and critical like these Pharisees and teachers of the law. I mean, they were watching him as he and his disciples walked through this grain field on the Sabbath, and they watched to see if they would, they watched to see if he would heal this man's hand on the Sabbath, looking for any, they were looking for any infraction of the rabbinic traditions. I read that and I say, oh, thank you, Lord. I'm not like that. Thank you that I don't have a critical spirit, not me. A lady wrote this, and she is a Christian author, she writes book for, books for women, a Christian women's author, and she's, I don't even remember her name. She speaks before convocations of women, thousands of people, and one Sunday morning, this lady caught herself. I mean, she was one of those who said, I don't have a critical spirit, and one of these days, and, 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 she, and she caught herself, and she said, I have to address this in myself. And, and she wrote about it in this article that I read. She talked about he was, how she was sitting in church, on a Sunday morning, and a rather plain lady walked up kind of to the front. She was very plain, but she had this good-looking guy with her. And, and, and she said, she said, how did she ever land a guy like that, see? And then she said, and see this lady who wrote the, boy, the article, you used to do hair. And she said, she's looking at the pastor and said, that guy could use a little help with his head, you know? And so could his wife, by the way. She said all that. And then after church, they had a fellowship time. And she saw this mom with two kids kind of jamming the chocolate cake down their throats. And there were other kids and other adults waiting for some of that cake. And these kids, these two kids are jamming the chocolate cake down their throats. And, and the mother says, honey, be sure and get a napkin to wipe your mouth. And, and, and she said, I'd like to give you a lesson in parenting or something like that, see. And she got home and it hit her. And she says, I am judgmental and critical, and I need to deal with that in myself. And she wrote this article based on John chapter 8, where Jesus Christ is the perfect, holy son of God. And this woman is brought to him, caught in adultery. And what did Jesus say? He said, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. He said, leave your life of sin. But he also said, and this is the perfect, holy son of God. He said, neither do I condemn you. Now see, that's what this word of God says to me. Do you have a critical spirit? Are you dealing with this critical spirit prayerfully? Because it's going to show through. 
See, God knows your thoughts. That's Psalm 139 too. You know my thoughts from afar. Are you dealing with it? And so today we've looked at part one of the cross. We've seen how God can take our free will decisions, even our bad ones, and work them to his purpose. We've looked at Luke 6 and asked a couple of questions. What does it say about God? It says he's merciful. He has genuine divine pity for us when we go through stuff. He wants to help us, but we need to eat some pride and we need to admit our helplessness. And we've asked, what does this word of God say about me and my life? How we can be so bound by our own traditions and routines that, that, that we don't even bless other people. We can have an uncompromising, rigid spirit, and people can't speak into our lives, or a critical spirit that we need to deal with. But here's the best part of this deal. The reason Jesus Christ came into the world and went to the cross is to pay for these sins. And when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, not one of these sins is ever counted against you. They're counted against him. I mean, man, you get so rigid like these, like these Pharisees. You get so, so judgmental and critical like these Pharisees. But when you come to the Father through Christ, every one of those sins belongs to him. They don't belong to you. They are paid for. And this is how God works. And this is a very precious blessing. See, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, God the Father places part of himself, the third person of the Holy Trinity inside you, and that's God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to work in you, and that conviction when you are a believer comes from Christ. And that, folks, is such a great blessing because he's trying to make me more and more like Christ. And the Spirit of God is in me telling me, listen, I'm convicting you, but you're not in this whole mess alone, in this whole struggle to be more and more like Jesus Christ. I'm convicting you, and now my power working in you and through you, man, we can beat this thing. We can do this. There, there is no sin you can't overcome. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.